Hello, hello. Welcome to the Making a Marketer podcast, the marketing show for all levels of experience with the best guests in the industry. Get ready to learn and laugh. Here we go with your hosts, Megan Powers with Powers of Marketing and Jen Cole with Social Media Examiner. Hello, hello, and welcome to the Making a Marketer podcast. I'm Megan Powers with Powers of Marketing, and this is episode 53. We are winding down on season three of the pod, and I'm super happy to have Daniel Glickman, the CMO of Wave Video with us today. Hi, Daniel. Hi, Megan. Hi, everyone. Hi, hi again. I was a guest on his podcast, and he does a fun thing where he like plays a phone ringing, and basically you you know, like, like you're having a phone conversation. Actually, let's, I want that um, before we do, I'm going to do your bio, but before that, tell me, since I mentioned it, what's your thought process? Tell us about your, the name of your podcast and your thought process behind how you decided to sort of chop up and mix and mingle your guest answers. Oh, okay. Yeah. So the podcast is B2U, the business to user podcast. So unlike like B2B, B2C, that is just B2G, business to government. I think of it as business to user, where you sell directly to the end user, be they in a business or not. So that's the podcast name. And the reason I did it the way I did it is because when someone persuaded me I need to create a podcast. And I was thinking, well, it's a ton of work. I mean, it's really a ton of work to create a podcast. And there are lots of them out there. And when I looked at how big of an audience I could create, I realized podcast audiences are pretty small. If you have a thousand subscribers to your podcast, that's considered pretty successful. So thinking, should I do this amount of work for such a small an audience? And I decided to go for quality over quantity. So I decided I'm going to invest even more time to create something that's outstanding, that's interesting, that's storytelling, something that I would put my passion into. It would be my creative outlet and something that for the few who do listen to me, it would be highly impactful and highly memorable. And so one of the, you know, and I put together like a whole different plan, like, okay, how am I going to get the word out? How am I going to get people to subscribe to this? Just putting it out there is not enough, right? So I figured, okay, I need to get some people that have their own audience that would want to share this out there. So I figured, okay, if I, I did the math, if I wait, you know, for each one, each guest to share each episode, it would take, what, three years to get to three, you know? Like, right. So I figured, okay, if I get more people in every episode, I get more sharing. So that was how I started out and it just kind of snowballed and then, I figured, okay, I can't just move from one guest to another. I want to really build storytelling in here. And I was really, I've always been inspired by the uh, NPR podcasts, the This American Life. I remember the first time I listened to Ira Glass, it changed my life because the guy does not have the voice for radio. He's like the complete opposite, right? And yet I find myself listening and captivated. And I remember thinking vividly, I remember this, the first time I heard This American Life. If he can be on radio, wow. I can one day maybe be on radio too. So for me, all of this kind of came together and I was like, okay, for myself, I want to be that moment. I want to make it that moment. So that's how I started it. And I kind of mimicked that style, if you will. I love it. Yeah. So our guests are on the show that they're on and then we just, you know, edit it and then post. So the fact that you had, you know, five different interviews and then you put them all together, I thought was really, was really cool. Thanks for having me on. 
It was great. It took about 50 hours of work to put that one episode together. So. That's a labor of love right there. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Yeah, I don't. I, that's why I pay someone <laughs> yeah. to do my editing. He's awesome. Shout out to Avery if you need podcast editor. He's your man. He's the audio guy. All right, cool. So I'm going to read your brief bio. Daniel is an innovative and internationally experienced CMO with a passion for building data-driven marketing systems that empower creative marketing teams to thrive and perform. Proven strengths in aligning marketing, sales, product, and IT teams to deliver personalized digital customer experiences that create hype. Creative, quick, analytical, and collaborative. And he has written two books, Personalize This and Disrupt that if you have a link to share the link to those with me, if you can, and I'll put them in the show notes. No question. All right. So you've been a CMO for several companies. What would you say is the consistent theme throughout the brands that you've represented in terms of like, what's the most important element that should ring through to customers? Is there anything that's weaved its way through all of your roles? Hmm. I guess what really is interesting is the ability to get scale and digital with a personal touch and a personal feel. Uh, so this is the, you know, and I, I used to own my own business and we worked in the remodeling industry. We built, we built homes and green homes. And, and of course, there you're signing a million dollar contract. You're going to spend a lot of time and you spend a lot of effort building that relationship and trying to get those referrals. And then I got into tech and it's like, okay, we need a million customers, not a million dollars for one customer. How do you still make it personal? How do you keep the strength and powers of both sides and sides? And I think to me, that's the the killer combination when you're able to scale and yet feel personal, yet have a relationship. I put, I put a bunch of work into this. It's an art form, really. No question. CMO, isn't it in the top five of the most laid off or fired positions in the world? I think it's top five. It used to be, yeah, the average tenure was two years. It's a fairly new position too. It's only several years old, but I think a decade or two, right? It's not, they didn't exist before. It was always sales and marketing under one. Yeah. Yeah. And now the CMO and, and the role has changed a bit. And oftentimes it's because the expectations are unrealistic. Now, of course, it's stabilized a bit. And now, as we know what a CMO is supposed to do, it's really, the 10 years has really stretched out. It's We're, we're looking now at five to 10 years. So we're, we're good. <laughs> yeah. 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 Right. Yeah. All right. So we've been hearing for years now that video is the future. Even this year, I was shocked to hear that video is the future because I think video is the yesterday, it's the today and the tomorrow, but whatever. <laughs> So it's obviously a tool that's been working now and moving forward. Like, what do you think that is? What is it about video? And you're, you like storytelling, right? So that's mm-hmm. probably, it's got to be part of it, huh? Well, I think, you know, in the mi- macro level, you know, down the road, several years from now, yeah, something new might emerge. Uh, video might become more interactive or something like that. But for now, in 2019, really was the year where everybody got into, or businesses got into video. Consumers got into video a long time ago, right? The demand was there. Right. But the um, but the businesses only started getting into video really in 2019. We we work in tech, in the tech sphere, and we think that the whole world is like us. No, there's so many companies out there that are not really yet even discovered video. But 2019 is when really the mass influx came in. And 2020 is when everybody's starting to think, 
wait a second, I need a strategy here. I need to really figure out how to do this. And I think this really parallels the evolution of content marketing or inbound marketing, whatever you wanted to call that, where everybody was blogging, right? So people started blogging and then businesses said, oh, we can also do something like this. So you got businesses jumping in on that. And then they started asking, why are we doing this? Wait, why am I writing all of this content? How is it working? And methodologies came in and strategies started to emerge and Nowadays, it's ubiquitous. We all call it content marketing, and we kind of know how to do it. At the time, it was a mystery. We looked at some, and they, how are they doing what they're doing? You know, how are they managing this? And, oh, they put a link at the bottom of the blog post. That's amazing, right? <laughs> and now we're at the same stage with video, where we're looking at some, and they're, they're doing super well. And, we're look, and we try, and we just create more video. And we're like, well, why am I not doing super well? I'm making all this video content, right? It's about strategy. It's about getting it right and doing the best practices and understanding, having purpose. So yeah, I think 2020 is the year when businesses are really starting to think of the ROI and how to do it more effectively, not just more efficiently. Right. That's so interesting because I hadn't thought about it from that perspective, right? Because you're right. We're kind of in our bubble with like, yeah, video, of course, duh. But yeah, you're right. General consumer is not, and general brand maybe hasn't been using it to its greatest potential. Having said that, I think a lot of us have been seeing a lot of really fun videos that families are doing. And I think a lot of it's been kind of driven by the TikTok craze. So is there any uh, one video that you've seen that has like caught your eye during all this? Oh, there was one TikTok video I saw, which was a guy looking out of a window of an airplane and he sees the wing and he's sort of excited about landing wherever this exotic destination. And then the camera zooms out and you see that he's actually sitting next to a washing machine and looking through the washing machine window. <laughs> and he's just imagining, you know, and he's dreaming of, you know, he's pretending that he's in first class and flying somewhere. <laughs> but I thought that was really cute. And it kind of reflected how we all feel today. Yeah. The families that are getting their kids in on it are cracking me up. Hi, Jen Cole. Jen Cole just joined us. I saw Kent Terrell and Jan Cott and Pleasant James was on. So thanks, guys. If you have any questions, let us know. Are you a co-founder of Wave? No, I'm You're a, not. I'm okay. A, yeah. Okay. I couldn't remember that you've been there pretty early since pretty early, right? I joined in just as we launched Wave Video. That's our second product. We okay. we have another product called Animatron Studio. And I was consulting for the company before. Gotcha. And then I joined the team just when we launched. So yeah, I've been there from the start of Wave Video, you could say. That's awesome. So just on the TikTok thing, your Wave has the ability to create videos and every possible format and size, but you haven't added, you don't have a TikTok template or kind of thing yet, right? But they can use, people can do nine by 16. Yeah, you can just use the generic and upload it to TikTok. It, we, we've neglected one because we haven't had requests for it. I think TikTok material tends to be very different in nature. Right. And it tends to be more produced on the phone and in the moment. Although we're seeing it change as well in TikTok. And, and it is about time we added it to our formats. Yeah. But you could you could definitely just use the generic vertical. Yeah. So as a user, I will say that for those watching or listening, so basically they have templates that enable you to create really 
nice, easy, really good looking videos, but also you can customize. And so I have some clients that I had a regular video that I was doing for them. And so then the logo was always in the same place and, you know, their name and title across the bottom can roll in and it's got some pretty cool options for all that. Super easy to use. As Jen Cole says, Wave is so awesome. It truly is. What's the biggest thing you've learned since you have been with Wave in terms of no, I just I'm not going to narrow it. What what have you? What's the biggest thing you've learned? I think really my answer to that would be really the formalizing how we develop features based on customer interviews and research. And we've you know I've always done this. This is not new, but here we've really taken this to the next level where we get the information from our customer base what it is they want and what it is they need. And then we process that a lot and we repackage that as something innovative because somebody says, hey, I just need, you know, the ability to add captions to my video or something. And somebody else says, I need, you know, stickers or whatever. And if you just give them what they want, you end up with this product that has too many features. It's clumsy. It's not innovative. It just has overlap of features with a lot of products out there because that's the thing. Where do people get their ideas? They get them because they saw this same feature somewhere else. And they say, oh, can you do the same thing? You know, can you have that, right? Nobody comes up with the that one thing that nobody has because by definition, you can't. So the, the task we have is taking those requests, prioritizing them and packaging them in a way that positions us differently, that separates us, that gives new meaning, new functionality to the user that they didn't imagine before. And I think we're doing that very, very well. So yeah, it's a team effort and I'm learning a lot as I go, absolutely. Yeah, so I, not as homework for this, but kind of funny as as I was getting ready, thinking in my head, kind of was. So I was, I went back through the first live show I ever did was for a client. I was called Event Collab. It was an online project management tool that was so lovely and it's sitting on a shelf. The code is sitting on a shelf. Anyway, I digress. So looking back through my videos and not only seeing myself get more comfortable, but also seeing like the technology evolve has been really interesting because like with each one I had tech, each of the first four, I think I had some tech fail of some kind and I was using BeLive at the time in like screen share and it was 17 when live video live on Facebook still was relatively new. Um, so going live natively on there also was a little problematic. Anyway, it was really funny to kind of see how I've evolved. But that's a nice thing too about your tool is A, that it's online, B, that it's super easy to use. And I really, I was looking for something because iMovie for me is, a, it's, and I'm, I'm a technical person. Like I used to de- hand code develop, you know, websites and I took a visual basic class for crying out loud. So like I get tech and when, so when I have an issue, I'm like, oh man, this it's there's gotta be an easier way. So yeah. So as soon as I started using wave, I was like, hot diggity, this is awesome. And you make me look good too. Cause the first few videos that I did using it, people are like, Ooh, I like the branding. I'm like, yeah, you know, <laughs> So thanks for that. And then a little shout out from Ms. Jen Cole. Daniel does such a great job of staying in touch with the Wave community. Love what you're doing, friend. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing too, is that if you think about it that way, as people aren't, they're not just customers, right? They're people that are part of your community. It's, It's important, I think. 
It's important. And and we're all human beings. We're all trying to achieve something and to, you know, to achieve success, whatever that success means, right? And at our job as a business is to help people succeed, right? It's not just to provide them with a solution. It's to help them succeed. It comes in many formats. One is, yeah, they have to succeed in using our product. They have to succeed in understanding how to use it. And they have to succeed in the best practices of their business. And yes, they have to succeed in their own business, in their own industry. Sometimes that's way beyond our control, but we can help a little bit. If we don't have empathy towards that, if we don't experience the same experiences and relate to that, then we will never get them, right? We'll never be able to help them. So for me, I always try to go through, put myself in the shoes of our customers and go through the exact same things. I have a team of designers that produce amazing content for me. And they're always like, oh, let me touch that up for you. And I'm like, no, no, I want to do this myself. I want to I want to post it as it is because I want to feel the exact same feelings our customers have when they are posting a video, which is not designer made. It's not perfect. I want to know exactly what that feels like. I want to be able to relate. And do I feel proud? Do I feel conflicted? Do I feel upset? What exactly is going on? How can I relate? So yeah, so that's kind of my guiding star is be there next to our customers and, and take the journey with them. I love it. I So the first five and a half years of my career, I was a technical writer writing uh, user's guides in online health or software. So, and in doing that, I too, I had to use it because I couldn't, I, just reading a spec sheet about what it's supposed to do isn't going to help the customer if the product doesn't work the way that the spec sheet, you know what I mean? So I was using it and writing the instructions as I went as a user. So yeah, super smart. But I love that even on your level that you're still doing that. So Buzz and James said, as a corporate editor, festival video producer, and social media manager, I'm always looking for better systems to work with both at home and on location. This this looks like a great platform to consider a lot more. So much flexibility. Yeah, absolutely. Check it out. You can see, I mean, the website's right there, wave.video. I love it. I have dot marketing. That's my URL is dot marketing and still trips people up. But there's no .com? I'm like, no. No, everything is taken. No, no, no. no. I have the .com also because they're, believe it or not, there's still like forms that you fill out that don't recognize unique URL or or the newer domains. So, (laughs) yeah, so I still have it. It redirects. But yeah, still kind of gets people like, ooh, I'm like, yeah, it's the name of my company. There you have it. Awesome. Okay, so what do you think is the most important thing to do when we're using video as our content? Oh, well, that's such a broad question. I know, sorry. Kinds of videos, right? So like what? what's in terms of strategy, it all depends on what you're trying to accomplish. That's what strategy is. But in terms of like, what's some, what should be like a guiding principle, I think that people should use when creating video content. One thing I had to choose, I guess, it's pace. It's getting the right pace. So when you're creating text, right? I'm a reader. I like reading. One of the reasons why I like reading is because I can set my own pace. I can skim stuff. I can slow down when I need to. And I find that far more effective for myself. With video, you have to guess what is the pace that people want to watch your video. So you need a bit of a, again, this sort of empathy, like try to think what is the context? Are they reading? Are they watching this video while they're in a conference or on a Zoom call and they have it on mute and, you know, they're kind of their mind is half in the Zoom call 
that they don't really want to be in and half watching this video? Are they scrolling through their feed? Are they sitting in the bathroom uh, and, you know, whatever? So the pace is super important. And nowadays the pace is so fast, right? Because you, the peop, everybody's like ADD. So you have to constantly change themes or change the visuals and grab their attention every three to five seconds. So if you have text on a video, it's easy to do. You read it out loud and to yourself and you say, okay, once I'm done reading it, I move on to the next scene. I change the visual. I do something. If Even if you have like your own talking head video, this is a challenge right now. People are those who are watching us, right? It's just the two of us, same scenery. It's not changing. Like right. how boring visually is that? It's terrible. So when you're editing, you can even cut and, you know, all of a sudden you get a close up and you zoom in, you zoom out, you can do these little tricks. But when you're live like this, it's we're limited to what we can do. And yeah, I can do some more body movement. <laughs> really, really good at it. I think Stephanie Liu is a master at this with her facial expressions. Yeah. And she really gets you like she you notice her all the time. So the she gets this. She gets the the pace right. So yeah, that was the one thing I would think about pace. I love that. That's perfect. Yeah. And Jen Cole said, so smart goals and messaging really feed into this too. Oh, and if it's going to be an episodic experience, you got to think that through too. Oh, we're talking about this on SME chat tomorrow. So just so happens. I love it. <laughs> perfect. All right. James would like to know, Daniel, do you think people should consider long form content more than they do now? Oh, wow. Great question. Great question. I guess it depends who you are and what is your, you know, what's your industry and your skill. Long-form content is very, very expensive to produce. It takes exponentially more amount of work. Now, if you have something really interesting to offer, and if you're a big brand, if you can spend that kind of uh, resources, it could be very beneficial. It's because it's harder to produce, there's less of it. And if you're good at it, you might be able to get your niche there. You can see on YouTube, there is a lot of long-form content you can have somebody talking about the DSLR camera for two hours there and people will, will watch, right? Because they have something to give. So the question is how much do you have to give? How much can you spend on this? By far, it's, it's strategically, it's very, very hard for smaller businesses to justify long-form content in video uh, because of the expense and because for the most part, it's very hard for people to find a time of day to spend time in long form, right? So you're competing against so many distractions. What are the chances you'll really get somebody in there? I would say they're pretty small unless your content is absolutely extraordinary. Right. I think that like a point on that is all of the, like the late night talk shows, even the ones they're all doing them at home now, right? But their monologue, that thing in the beginning is always separated out in another video. Like they're not, forcing us all to watch the entire hour show or whatever it amounts to 45 minutes. They're chunking it in bite size. Yeah. And if you, if you have, if you have kids, you know, you see how they watch, you know, if you're trying to sit down as a family and watch Netflix or something, you will notice that adults are who grew up in a different age are just sitting there and watching the entire show. The kids are getting up, they're coming, they're on their phones, they're chatting with somebody during the show. They just cannot watch the entire show. Right. They are used to something different. And from their perspective, it's like, oh, this scene is boring. I Can you just skip forward? They, you know, Oftentimes they'll do the same thing with music. They'll skip forward. But we all do this to some extent nowadays, right? So again, when you're doing long form, it's a big, big bat. And can you constantly keep it like really, really focused and really 
keep giving, 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 that's super tough to do. And if you're going to have like a, a couple of minutes in there, which are slow and boring, people are going to just go away. Right. So, you know, I would say if you're starting out, don't go long form, go short form. If you've mastered that, you're doing really well, you have an audience and you say, oh, wow, I could go on and on. I have so much in-depth knowledge. I could really give an hour-long talk on this, and I think I could captivate people. Then I would say there's really room for it because there is a high level of influence when you have somebody with you for an hour, and that level of influence could translate into action and sales, right? Right. Yeah. I love that. That's a great answer. Wow. I think we're nearing the end. Actually, we're at we're at a 30 minutes. So I want to be conscious of your time. So I'm just going to ask you one more question. All right. Tell us about one of your books. Pick one. Oh, that would be Disrupt That. Okay. Um, yeah. And that's a book about essentially, you know, startup, how to market as a startup. And it's my view about how how to manage a team, how to get out there and how to get break through the noise and make your company visible and noticeable. And it's all about disruption when you're a small brand. And I always say the only competitive advantage we have against the big guys we're competing against, we're competing, you know, our company, we compete against Adobe and even Microsoft, you know, out there. And you know, big, big guys that have like a lot, they've got more money, they've got more talent, they've got more everything. One advantage we have over them is that we don't have a legal department. We don't have somebody that just shuts down every crazy idea we have. And so we can move faster, we can move better, and we can move dirtier. Not not that I'm suggesting we should do illegal stuff, no. <laughs> it's just the legal department, they just want everything to be kind of boring. So the book is about how to manage the team that way, how to think in a disruptive way, and how to position yourself in a way that's more interesting in a marketplace so you can break through. I love it. Yeah. My, I taught a social media uh, for business class, like at the last minute for this group of people who all want to launch businesses within the next zero to three months. And I, some of them wanted like deeper training. And so, um, cause I mean, an hour to cover <laughs> social media is like, you're just barely scratching the surface. Right. So but anyway, I'm going to email all of them and I'm going to, I'm going to suggest that book. It sounds like a perfect book for somebody who's, you know, wanting to go out on their own. Yes. Wow. Yeah, I wish I knew all that stuff when I started my company back way back when. It would have saved me, wow, a million dollars, I would say. Oh, Probably. wow. Yeah. That's a lot of money. Yeah, yeah, I will say that I have loved my favorite jobs other than this one, um, having my own company. I'm the longest employer I've, I've ever worked for. <laughs> <laughs> Six and a half, six and a half years so far. But the startups were my favorite. I definitely enjoyed that nimble. I think it also helps that I, I got laid off from my first job out of college seven and a half months in. So I got that life lesson early mm -hmm. uh, that nothing is certain to always keep your resume updated and um, all that good stuff. So I think I, I got used to early, like trying, you know, being on my toes and I'm um, being ready to pivot <laughs> whether that meant to, you know, a new company or, or whatnot. So, okay. And then before the show started, I mentioned uh, superpowers. If you could have a superpower in your job, any if you could do anything at all in your job that you can't currently do, what would it be? Oh, I guess it would be to always be right. Because <laughs> most of the time I'm wrong about anything. I think that's just human nature. About 60% of the time we're wrong. 
So, so I'm like, if I knew, if I could make the right decision every time, I would be, you know, to shorten the process dramatically. Right. <laughs> yeah. That would be really good. That's a good one. I've never heard that. Yeah, that would be. I mean, I know plenty of people who think they're never wrong. So I also think it's a sign of great leadership when you can admit when you're wrong. So for you to say that, I think it says a lot. So Jen Cole signing off. Thanks, Jen. All right. Thank you to everyone who came on and asked questions and um, engaged with us. If you're listening to this on the replay or watching this back on YouTube or Facebook, thank you very much. And Mr. Daniel, thank you so much for being my guest today. Oh, this is pleasure. awesome. Thank you for having me. Yeah. it's always goes way too quick. And I say that every time, but it's a true story. <laughs> it just really does. So, all right. This has been episode 53 of Making a Marketer, and we will catch you next time.